Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome, everybody, to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I'm Dale Luganville. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today, his name is Steve Panaz. If that sounds familiar, it's because it is. Uh, If you're a Minnesota outdoor angler, and not just Minnesota, probably across the nation you've probably heard this word he is a um he's a minnesota fishing hall of fame member and duck d i guess what you call it he has been a part of uh, outdoor media for a very long time um part of the nafc the north american fishing club and north american fishing magazine i remember being a charter member of that <laughs> it's quite the deal quite the big deal um but yeah then go, you know went on to to host and produce multiple fishing shows and uh so he has played a huge role and has definitely been an influence for me um one of the many influences of me getting in the industry as well and uh, we wade into those waters a little bit we talk about tournament angling and uh it's a short conversation he had to run um he's got a big fishing trip to go but um this was the time we had allotted and i wasn't going to squander it or pass it up i was going to take advantage of it and uh, hopefully we can do something again in the future because there's a lot more I really wanted to kind of get into a, a deep conversation with. So hopefully in the future we can do it again, but um, albeit somewhat relatively short for one of my podcasts, uh, it was great and and uh, thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. And I uh, want to thank him again for taking time out to do that. You know, we crammed it in early 7 a.m. On a, on a Monday morning. So <laughs> whatever it takes. Uh, willing to do it so great dude and uh, i think you're gonna enjoy this episode let's get into it this is the full scale outdoors podcast with steve panaz (laughs) oh here we go boys that sound this is a good one 
Scale Outdoors podcast. Steve, thank you very much for doing this, by the way, especially early morning on a Monday. Well, headed out fishing. That is the best reason ever. I saw it this past weekend. What's uh, what's your target? Uh, we're going to target crappie and walleye. Nice. Uh, heading up near Fergus Falls area. Ooh, going up to uh, Ottertail County. I would love to move there, but it's just, you know what they need out there? They need an airport. <laughs> it's what? They need an airport up there. Like, oh. I've thought about moving up there, and it's like, oh, man, with the travel I do, it's like, what? How am I going to pull that off? Like, having to travel three hours of the airport every time would not be good. <laughs> where, where are you based out of? Uh, it's the cities area. I'm north of the Twin Cities. Oh, okay. A few minutes, so, yeah, I'm like. Well, traffic depending, what, 45, 50 minutes to the airport, I suppose. So, pretty convenient, yeah. but yeah. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, how, to, how to start it? That's the hard part. Um, so, you've been, and really, for people that may not know, which would surprise me if they don't, um, you've been pretty instrumental in, in like the outdoor media world and both as a personality, both behind, you know, and behind the scenes. So as podcast is growing, the thing that I really wanted to talk to you about was, uh, was that like watching it change over the years. You know, I, I was just talking to my buddy last night and, uh, he's like, yeah, I remember any, NAFC. He's like, didn't we have patches from them? Like we used to put on our shirts and we went out fishing and pretend like we were big <laughs> shots. I'm like, yeah, we did the little triangle patch. Yeah. Charter, yeah. charter member, actually. Yep, yep. <laughs> that was many moons ago. So that gives away how old I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of going through your um, the uh, Minnesota Fishing Hall of Fame, your kind of resume there, which is quite impressive. Um, so kind of walk us through like how that NAFC, and then so the NAHC, the hunting club. I assume that's under the same umbrella. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I graduated from college in, in 1986, I went to the U, uh, I started, I started out in a business program and I just, just didn't enjoy it. Uh, the second accounting class is what did me and I just, just didn't like it at all. So, uh, I had met a, a guy working for, North American Media Group. It was the North American Hunting Club at the time. A guy named Mark LaBarbera, and and uh, I went. Here's a guy making a living doing what I love, working in the outdoors. So my sophomore year of my college career, I switched from business to journalism, and I ended up going through a, a print uh, program through the the journalism school, and I took television production through the theater department, which is kind of odd, but. Uh, and then I actually interned uh, the summer of my sophomore year at North American uh, Hunting Club. I did an article for the magazine where I interviewed the uh, all of the um, agencies for hunting about uh, doing a hunting forecast for the coming year. And, uh, I mean, back then it was call long distance, which sounds weird now, but <laughs> it was a, a big deal. And, and uh, so... Uh, after that summer, I started my journalism uh, curriculum, and, and it really fit. It was the right move. Uh, I knew immediately it was the right move. And 
So when I graduated in 86, um, uh, North American offered me a job uh, to work as an editorial assistant or associate editor uh, on North American Hunter magazine. And I was there about a year and a half, uh, maybe. Uh, and uh, I get back from an elk hunt. And uh, my boss calls me in the office and says, uh, he said, we're going to start the North American Fishing Club. We'd like you to head up the launch of the magazine, North American Fisherman. And I mean, here's a kid, 20, 22 years old, maybe, uh, getting offered a position to, to launch a magazine. I mean, it was a pretty amazing opportunity. Damn. And uh, so I, I started uh, the process, worked with guys like Homer Circle and, and Jim Bashline and Gary Borger and Jeff Murray and uh, Mark Sosin and all the biggest names in the fishing business at the time. I was on the phone with them all the time. And uh, it was pretty heady stuff at the time. And, and uh, we launched the magazine. We, we took a broad approach with uh, both freshwater and saltwater and uh and launched and and uh the club had figured out what memberships and how things worked for uh people wanting to join there was a hunger for people wanting to be part of something bigger especially in their passions and it took off i mean it, at one point the magazine went from you know, we were growing 35 40 percent a year up until we we reached the point where it was you know six hundred thousand uh subscribers you know we had a almost 4.2 million readers and about the time uh that was 80 you know 89 90 91 92 um i had a chance to fish in the in the uh u.s national ice fishing championships and and uh i was up on green lake up by chisago and i didn't have a chance to pre-fish for it at all i was just going up there for the experience more than anything but um, I walked in there, talked to Frankie up at Frankie's live bait. And I said, Frankie, what's in Green Lake? He said, oh, there's a ton of perch out there. And this was a panfish tournament. And so everybody had pre-fished all walked to the shallow bays targeting bluegills. And I went the other direction and got on a brake line. And you couldn't use sonar. You couldn't use anything. And I found a pot of perch that was must have been a foot thick because I caught over 100 in literally <laughs> as fast as I could drop the jig. And went in the weigh-in and I had doubled the weight of the second place guy in the tournament and ended up two weeks later, I was in Finland on the world ice fishing uh, team with the U S national ice fishing team. And we were fishing in the world championships. But what was important about that is uh, there was a, a, a TV producer from ESPN at the event. And he, uh, he interviewed me as the part of the show he was producing on the, on the event. And, and, uh, got to talking to him. I said, who's handling your marketing? Who's handling your hosting and all that? And there's a guy named Rick Hagberg out of Omaha. And uh, he said he hadn't figured it out. He had just sold uh, or just got the uh, show approved by the network. And so I said, can you stick around for a little bit? And then I called Steve Burke, the owner of North American. I says, uh, I think there's an opportunity here. And uh, so they sat themselves in a room, locked it for a couple of days, came out and they, uh, announced a partnership wow. and next year we were airing on ESPN and, and I had a chance to travel uh, all over the world for the next 30 years. I mean, it was an amazing type of thing. And what, what was nice for me is I had a chance to fish with some of the best anglers in the, in the business and both fresh and salt water. And I don't know things started clicking after a while. And, and um, 
you know, when I left North American, there was a couple buyers that came in and the last buyer, um, wanted to take the company in a direction I wasn't comfortable with. And, and, uh, so we parted ways, um, uh, in 2011. So I had been there 25 years and, um, started Lake Commandos, uh, more as a, you know, let's keep food on the table type of thing. And, and, uh, I was really fortunate that companies like Pure Fishing and Ranger and Yamaha, and, you know, companies like Garmin and everybody said, Hey, we want to continue to work with you. And so we're, we're going into our 10th season with Lake Commandos right now. And I, I'm really proud of that. I'm fortunate. Yeah, you should be. That's amazing. It's a tough environment out there, but it's, uh, but I've been lucky. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, God, what a story! Get, getting the fish in the world, like uh, as a as a tournament ice angler myself, I'm in the Minnesota Made Tournament Series, and then this year um, they've added a qualifier for the NAIFC. So one of our events will be a qualifier for that. Um, that's that's a pretty remarkable story. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was the start of all of that. I mean, we had a chance to fish uh, a lake near Innery, Finland, which is a couple hours north of uh, where um, Helsinki. And I mean, what was blew me away when we got there is they're fishing palm rods and the, and they're fishing the tiny tungsten jigs, you know, down to size 22, 24, uh, you know, wow. tiny, tiny line. Uh, and we ended up. Uh, fishing perch and whitefish, a lot of the things that were very similar to home. Uh, and and the terrain looked exactly like Grand Rapids, Minnesota. I, I mean, it was like, I can understand why so many Scandinavians <laughs> have moved to this part of the country because uh, it's just like home for them. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that for sure. Did you, did you know, like, um, like how much research were you able to do? Like when you're going over there, like how to, how they do it like were they using like the bait balls and you had the the two two holes and a flag by each hole was it was it similar well the the rules at the time i'm not sure what they are now but there was no electronics uh there was um uh, hand augers and and uh and you were assigned a section of the lake so every team had one person in that section of the lake and there was no lake maps at the time and so the technique was pretty interesting. Is the uh, the fin uh, the Finnish Mick Mick Phil uh, Phil floats? Uh, he's gone now, but Mick was our coach, and he had contacts there. He was from the UK and had contacts in the international scene. So when we landed in Helsinki, uh, we met with uh, several members or several um, folks that were very familiar with Finnish fishing and. They handed us these rods. I honestly, at the time, I thought they were souvenirs uh, and, <laughs> and things. And, and so it was an eye-opening experience uh, from me from a competitive standpoint. And the one thing that blew me away is like uh, watching some of the some of the teams during the competition. They would drop their, their palm rod, you know, their line down at the bottom, and they'd jig for 5, 10, 15, 20 seconds. And when they were to move to another hole, they would take their rod and they would throw it and hold their rod, their hand in like a, a little, you know, oh, and as soon as the lure came out of the water, they grabbed the lure and, and they'd run to the next hole dragging their rod. And then they'd take these uh, two-handed uh, 
augers, hand augers, and they'd drill their hole and they would essentially push the ice down with the auger, pull it up, try to get it clear enough, and they'd drop the lure down. And that's how they moved and that's how they fished. It was super aggressive. Yes, and, so. um, yeah, and it was it was very interesting. I became a big fan of the palm rods, especially as I started fishing some of the trap attacks and some of the other tournaments that were going on and experimenting with the half pound test, three quarter pound test, and and I uh, quickly realized that there's no need for that type of line and you lose too many big fish. And but it was a learning process. I mean, it was kind of a fun time because we were learning how to do things. Yeah, and it would depend on the fishery. I mean, if, you know, if you're the target is these little minnow sized fish, you know, that kind of makes sense. And you're not ever going to tangle with a bigger fish. And by bigger, I mean something of, you know, nine inch bluegill size, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Here in the States, like when would you ever use that unless you're trying to catch shiners or something, but um, they do look pretty cool. I remember watching some videos of it and you're right. The way they toss that palm rod and then they kind of hand over hand. It's, it's pretty wicked. And I'm just like, yeah. man, I can't imagine treating my equipment like that. <laughs> but this this little tiny palm around, I guess, probably doesn't take too much abuse whipping well, it out there. The Russian the team, the, the Russian team would use boar hair for a strike indicator. And uh, I'll never forget this. Uh, one of the guys in the group quit moving, and I, so I knew he was on fish. And so I kind of walked to my the ten the ten meter distance, so you couldn't get any closer. And I saw him catch a what looked like a fat head minnow into the competition and anything weighed and so you know, fishing was tough enough that you know i was intrigued but he had 38 mute or whatever they called them over there uh, weighed 83 grams that's what his weight was for the, in the for the event wow that's 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 a totally different i mean it's just you try to wrap your mind around that you know as a north american fisherman and our kind of i don't know if you want to call it you know the american uh figure is better and kind of a thing you know our big giant bass bags and you know stuff like that then they're over there catching minnows <laughs> it's, yeah it's pretty trippy but also super interesting as well you know so that's i'm looking forward to uh hopefully qualifying for for that that'll be definitely a new experience although i think they can i know here in the states at least i'm pretty sure they use yeah they use electronics so you can use live scope and all that so in our league, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Minnesota Made, but we don't. Um, we can use live scope, pan optics um, to scout and prefish, but yep. on tournament day we don't use it. So no. kind of keeps okay. kind of levels the playing field out for the teams that maybe can't afford it because um, yep. it's not a cheap piece of equipment. And I I no. kind of like it, and we've kind of we've talked about you know as a league if we should ever change that and i think we we're pretty much all in agreement that we're just we're gonna leave it kind of like the fact that we're the the league that doesn't use you know live scope obviously we still use flashers and you know other types of graphs but yeah i kind of like it that it sets us you know we're a little bit different than some of the other leagues that have popped up yeah i, I mean there's a couple things on tournaments that uh, i really like we used to own the Masters Walleye Circuit uh, when I was in North American and spent a lot of time uh, on the tournament trail producing the TV shows around the events. And I mean, I know there's anglers out there that don't enjoy or don't like tournaments that stop at their place, but I think all anglers have to admit that tournaments have changed the game for them. 
in a positive way. I think trolling motors are better than they would ever be without tournaments and sonar. Uh, it's pushed the envelope in boats and outboards. Everything's better because of what they learned during tournaments. If you saw what was going on back in the 80s and 90s in terms of events and, and what people were fishing with and look at how it evolved, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And, uh, and in terms of live scope, I, mean, I had a chance to be part of that front end of that stuff with Panoptics. And we were up uh, on a lake up near Pine City with guys like Danny Thompson and guys from Garmin. And Panoptics, the first time I used Panoptics, I, I mean, I was literally blown away. We were catching bluegills and sun, you know, bluegills and crappies that we were seeing from 80, 100 feet away and, and moving on top of them and drilling holes. I mean, I was blown way we we did a short video on it production values were horrendous and at the time uh, it was the number one viral video for garmin in the history of the company wow i mean people people were just shocked uh at what this stuff could do and and then when live scope came out and i had a pipe come up off the bottom i could see the fins the tail fork the head shape I mean, that's incredible stuff. It is pretty remarkable. Uh, I I guess I'll allow myself to go off on this tangent a little bit. You know, we were using it yesterday. We are out, and that's – I'm pretty new to the technology. We're, you know, one of the kind of teams are just starting to – we just got it this year. So looking forward to that. But so I was just playing around with it. Pretty much the first time I've ever had to just, you know, me using it. And it's pretty remarkable. And and I've heard a ton of people say – since it's been out, it's like, man, where do we go from here? You know, how can it possibly get better? I'm like, you know, we always say that because our little monkey brains just, you know, there's vision visionaries out there that can see the next step, but most of us can't. And we're just like, this seems like the pinnacle of what technology can do. And I promise you it's not. Something is going to come down the line that's going to blow you away again. You know, and I think it's easy enough to look at it and be like, well, yeah, they can get better at definition, you know, where you're going to be able to, count the dorsal spikes on a bluegill or you know or maybe it, it measures the fish for you on the screen or so you know i don't know some sort of tony stark tech will be will be added to it um but it's definitely going to continue to get better and i think you're 100 percent correct in that tournament angling was the driving force behind these technologies you know if it's just your your average bucket fisherman i mean what's the motivation you know what what is what is pushing that technology forward yeah you know unless there's this money or this competitive drive behind it you know and you look at the the industry that surrounds uh, competitive angling you know it's not just like that team wanting to win and, and cash that check it's like everything surrounding it every piece of equipment from the shoes they're wearing to the line to the jig to the the boat that you you know every single piece of equipment fits into a much larger um, business, you know, market. And it just, it drives all of that. And I think we would be, well, I guess arguably, I guess it depends on who you talk to, but I think, you know, we would be much further behind without that, you know, as far as, and maybe some people say that's good, you know, but I personally enjoy it. I like seeing what comes out new. And, and I know you've, you've seen this progression happen where some new technology comes out 
it's met with resistance. I remember underwater cameras, you know, they wanted to ban those or they, you know, there was talk of banning those or making some sort of legis. This is going to be unfair. They're going to fish our, this isn't sporting, going to fish our lakes out. And now we have the benefit of time. We can look back on it like, no, that didn't happen. And then when you look at the conversations, like in the very first flasher came out, that Lawrence green box, you know, the, there was similar conversations about that. And it just happens every single time. I think anglers, too, have changed. I'll never forget, uh, we have a, a men's fishing group at my church, and uh, they they took a trip a number of years ago that I, I wasn't able to go on. And, and uh, the next Sunday, uh, one of the guys from the trip came up. He goes, hey, did you hear about the men's trip? And I says, no. He said, worst trip of my life. I said, seriously, what happened? He goes, we caught 120 walleyes a day, and we couldn't keep a single fish. It was horrible. <laughs> And, and I thought that was interesting. And about two minutes later, another guy came up. He goes, you hear about the men's fishing trip? I said, no. He goes, best trip of my life. He said, we caught 120 walleyes a day and didn't have to clean any. <laughs> I think our, I, I, I think anglers today uh, equate more to the experience than what's, what's piled in the plastic bags at the end of the day. And I think that technologies like Garmin, uh, LiveScope, uh, is appreciated not just because it helps you catch more fish that doesn't mean you have to kill more fish it means you can catch more fish and i think one of the things that i've found about the technology that i like more than catching is i've learned so much about fish behavior i I grew up with a blip on on a on a flasher and and now i'm watching fish from 50 80 feet away how they respond to presentations I watch how they're moving. I watch how aggressive they are, how much they move underwater. I mean, I've, I've had situations where I hook a perch and I've got 50 to 100 come up off the bottom under the hole and the whole water column's full of fish. I, I never, in a wildest dreams, imagined those sort of things happened underwater. I was on a flat on Mille Lacs and watched over 100 walleyes one day swim all from north to south. I mean, just the, the experience and the understanding of fish and fish behavior is is much more valuable to me than just being able to catch uh more fish um because i think that's the that's the information that's going to help me catch more anyway it's not just because of the technology and the great thing is and we've seen malax i mean we've got a an entire a generation of anglers right now that don't need to put six walleyes in the boat. You know, there's people that want to, and I, I, I do as well at times. I mean, I'd love having a walleye dinner, but uh, oh, yeah. I, I won't go to Black's and accept the fact that uh, I'm going to catch 30 smallmouth and not keep any. And I'll, I'll go up there and, you know, catch uh, 25 walleyes and maybe keep one. I'm, I'm okay with that. And uh, not to say that others are and, that, that that shouldn't change but at the same time uh, there are other options that catch and grease mentality is is definitely still alive and well with a lot of with a lot of people um just this you know i just went fishing last weekend and putting stuff on my snapchat story and releasing these big you know 10 plus inch bluegills and some nice crappies and they're you know i'm getting messages back and it's like why are you letting all those beautiful fillets go you know it's like and for me, it's like, are you kidding? You want me to put a knife to that ten and a half inch bluegill? You got to be out of your mind. Like that's that's a next class fish there. Like, why 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 would I do that? <laughs> like, 
I want more of these. It was a fisheries manager said he could grow three 10-point bucks in the time it takes to grow one 10-inch bluegill. I believe and that. <laughs> you're talking 10, 12-year-old you know, year old fish. And so, yeah, there, it comes down to a, there is responsibility for you know maintaining trophy panfish. I mean, there, there are such things as trophy panfish. Oh, 100%. And I, and I do think it's the ones you know that target them the most that actually appreciate you know and kind of start to, to develop that conservation mindset because they they come to appreciate their their target their quarry their game whatever you want to call it um dare i say they they develop a sort of relationship with it and so it's something that is admired and loved and revered i think that's the word i'm looking for uh where you just you hold this thing to a higher standard you know you 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 know everything about it and then when you catch one of these trophies it's just like you said that you can this is a 13 year old fish you know potentially or you know you just you know how special that fish is and you appreciate it whereas somebody that's that's very you know casual angler fishing out their dock or even out of a boat and they happen to catch a big one they're just like wow that's a really big fish and they're putting no thought into how remarkable that big fish is and it, it might seem counterintuitive to a lot of people on the fringes and the peripheral um you know that that dynamic and we're seeing some of that like there's a new term or maybe it's not a new term it's new to me i'm starting to hear it more and more and some of these people that are speaking out against these tournaments or they call kill tournaments you know they're like i can't believe the dnr allows these kill tournaments i hear that same narrative over and over and over again on the internet right now and what the general public doesn't I, I can see how they can see that like the outside perception look at this one day and all these big giant fish get taken out of this lake and but it's one day you know most of the term anglers i know rarely catch fish or i mean not catch fish rarely keep fish outside of tournament tournament day and if they do they're keeping those smaller eater sized fish and not keeping those trophy fish and I would, I would, I would be confident in putting money up against a study that says your average, like weekend warrior, angler, your catching grease fisherman is taking way more pounds out of a, out of a given lake in the season than any tournament angler would, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I we do have the technology to weigh fish, and uh, I, I have to admit, I've enjoyed watching major league fishing. And how it's moving forward at the same time, you know, I, I do watch Bassmaster and, and, and I still think there's excitement in, in what happens with the throw of the big crowds and things. And if you can release fish and enjoy an 80, 90% uh, return rate to the lake, I mean, yes, you're going to lose fish. You're going to lose fish no matter what. But at, at what point is it acceptable? And I think if a tournament can, can go to a catch or release format, I think it's good. I, I do remember that first. U.S. National Ice Championships, according to the rules, we had to keep the fish in water. And uh, once they got through the way, they were put back in the lake. Um, I don't know what the rules are nowadays, but that's how we how things were handled at the time. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, I, I really enjoy the MLF format. I really do. And I remember yeah, all the kind of controversy with that just among anglers. You know, some people loved the big five. They liked the big reveal. They liked that. And I understand, I get that, too. But I, I really like the MLF format the format and there really isn't any reason you couldn't still do just keep your big five you don't have to 
weigh every fish or as far as every fish, you know, accumulated total. You don't have to do that. You could set your tournament still your top five or just letting them go right away. I think the problem you get with that is that you have to have a judge there. You know, there that takes somebody there to weigh that fish while you're fishing. And you know, you look at these if I'm trying to make it analogous to these ice fishing tournaments, we got thirty teams. You need thirty judges. You know, is it an insurmountable obstacle? No, not absolutely not. Um, it could be done. And we are there are talks, you know, in the league meeting about stuff like that. Like, what do we do if we catch a true, true, you know, true giant? You get a 16-inch crappie in tournament day. Nobody wants to kill that fish. You know, can we call the tournament director and can they come out and weigh that one? You know, and we've kind of, there's no hard line there, kind of leaving it up to the discretion of Jake Kuchmeister, our, our league director. You know, yeah. if you do catch a super mega, you know, call me. And well, but don't call me for a 13, you know, kind of a thing like that. I can't, I don't, we just don't have the resources to be running all over the lake and weighing yeah. this fish, you know? So without some sort of judge or marshal following every team, you know, what do you do? Well, some of us have taken, like we have coolers now. I put a giant cooler, like one of those, I don't know, the like 55 quart or whatever, you know, giant long cooler. I put it on the back of my four wheeler. And I fill that thing up with water. And we fished on West Rush last year, and it was like 25 below zero, actual temperature. The wind was blowing, and I put all my fish in there and got done fishing, you know, that day. Kept the fish. Got late, got home, like, well, I'm going to all clean those tomorrow, and I left the cooler outside. There was about mm, three-quarters of an inch of ice on the top with the water inside that cooler. And most of those 90% of those fish were still swimming around the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that was good for me. Cause I'm like, okay. Cause I wasn't sure if I kept fish in a cooler on tournament day, running around the lake and they're bouncing around in there. And then I weigh them and I want to release them. How confident am I that those fish are still going to live? Sure. They're swimming technically, but the stress that they've built up, you know, from, you know, all that handling or whatever, are they even going to, is it, a, is it pointless? Are they just going to die anyways? And I don't want that, you know, I won't want that resource to go to waste. If they are going to die, I'd rather eat them, you know, but that yeah. gave me the confidence that, yeah, those fish are tough for them to give them credit for. And I a hundred percent could have released those fish that day. And the vast majority of them would have, would have lived. So, I mean, there are teams now that are taking it upon themselves to, to do stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm not going to clean these fish. You know, we're going to, as soon as I'm done weighing them, these things are going back down a hole. And I think that's great. You know, there's, yep. Yep. And it goes back to my point that I think these tournament anglers, you know, they, they're, they're, they're putting more, I shouldn't say more, that might not be, but they're putting a, an importance on their target species. You know, they're, they're elevating these things. So they want to take care of them. You know, I don't want to see these things fished out. I want to see bigger. I want to see more and bigger fish. I want to see more and bigger bags come to the scale. That's the drama, right? Why would I want to take these fish out? Uh, I want to. Uh, I want to switch switch gears for a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how many people have heard of Min Fish Foundation and Coalition. It's a uh, an organization uh, that started in 2018. Guys like uh, Ron Shera and 
and Tom Mackin from Rapala and Dave Osborne from Clam and John Peterson from Northland and, and uh, Babe Winkleman part, Craig Wilson. I mean, there's uh, Tom Newstrom. I mean, uh, just a whole amazing group of uh, folks that volunteered to put together a group and put a lot of them, all everybody has put in their own money to help grow this thing. And the whole thing is designed to go back to the legislature and the DNR and, and, and reinvest in state waters. The uh, fishing and boating industry generates almost $300 million in tax revenue a year. It's a $4.2 billion industry in the right. state. In the state. And so I'm going to challenge every, everybody that listens to your, your, your podcasts and others to join MinFish. It costs nothing. Uh, unless you want to support us financially so we can do more. But this legislative session that's coming up in February is a bonding year. The state has a like a $4 billion surplus from the economy right now. We're asking that they invest more into the improvement of our boat ramps. Uh, I'd like to see more docks at ramps. I'd like to see ramps built a little bit larger so we can get some of the bigger boats in. I'd like to see them... Uh, improve our hatcheries uh we've got hatcheries that are literally falling apart uh and we need millions of dollars to reinvest it back into it so reach out to your you're going to hear more as we start ramping up ahead of the legislative sessions but we're going to be asking for millions tens of millions of dollars to be reinvested back in so we have more fish we have better ramps we have a better experience for anglers and so I'm going to challenge everybody who fishes Minnesota to just join. Go to min-fish.com and sign up for a free membership um, and uh, or become a life member or or even a, a paid member. But we, we just ask that we we come together and help join into this group to uh, to push this uh, over the over this, you know, finish line, because this is a very, very important year. That's uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's. I'll I'll definitely push that on my end as much as I can because uh, you're not wrong about these boat ramps, you know, becoming dilapidated and it's weird. You know, there's this there's this really weird I don't want to call it a love hate relationship with people, um, but they like to throw a lot of shade at the DNR, you know, for being inept or not making the right decisions or not doing this. But then they'll go to a lake that has a crappy launch and then they'll complain. You know, it's like well, what 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 are you complaining about like thought you hated the dnr like you should be supporting them if you want better ramps and better fish management and you know that's how this works it's not, yeah I'm, it's not I, just an I, entity that writes you tickets right we've I've, we've had chances uh multiple chances to meet with sarah stroman the commissioner and bob uh brad parsons the fisheries chief and stuff and I think the leadership is their heart is in the right place. They want to do the best and it's a diverse uh, need and things like that. But we have a very strong story to tell in terms of the effect of fishing on, on the state economy. And we've got some value, <laughs> some incredibly valuable. I mean, I, I spent 30 years traveling the country, fish probably 40 States over the years. And there's nothing nothing that compares to minnesota i mean there are some great fisheries in new york and texas and florida and california but nothing like what we have here and i think we need to 
recognize that we're the envy of the entire country and we can do a better job than what we're doing right now. Oh, 100% agree. I mean, I think, you know, people that live here their whole life, they just, they, and this could probably be, you could use this for pretty much any walk of life, but when you're, when this is what you grow up with, it's just your normal. You don't really see how exceptional it is, but this is a destination state for fishing. You know, people travel here from literally all over the world to take part in the fishery that we have here. And a, lot, a ton of anglers just take that for granted. You know, it's just like, fishing's good. You know, or I didn't get my limit today. This sucks or, or whatever the thing may be. And it's like even bass fishing, you know, when you mention bass fishing, you think of a lot of southern states, you know, they can grow these double digits, you know, even though they're pretty rare. When the pros started coming up here to Mille Lacs and then they hit the Grand Rapids area and they saw what kind of a bass fishery we had here, I remember hearing a bunch of them were like, I had no idea. I had no idea that, that Minnesota had this kind of bass fishing. Do we grow 10-pounders? No, not really, but we have a lot of three to fives. You know, <laughs> like, it, it's there's just more of them, and that's what blows a lot of anglers away that aren't yep. from here. And, well, again, we just take it for granted. You know, we're just like, oh, there's bass everywhere. What's the big deal? They're not 10-pounders. You know, it's like not only do we not do we take them for granted, we kind of demean them a little bit. But, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that with that sentiment that this is – and it's not lost on me. You know, this state is great. I mean, I've thought about moving to other places, and it's like, why would I ever move from here? This is a sportsman's paradise. It's, it's got everything. You're You're a two-hour drive from – so many different things to do in the outdoors you know just just in the hunting and fishing space you know that's not even counting atv skiing boating hiking you know the other outdoor pastimes yep yep Hale, i'm gonna have to leave i've got a brother showing up in about 40 minutes and if i'm uh not ready <laughs> we're, we're going fishing dude all right dude well uh i'm gonna probably reach out to you again if, you, if you're interested there's a lot more i'd love to talk to you about i wanted to get into kind of the progression of outdoor media and you've seen it change firsthand and i really want to get into that um yeah it, it is an unbelievable story you know it just really with the internet popping up and how that changed and print media is you know kind of on its way out and I'd, I'd love to get that perspective and now that you're doing well let's let's before we go let's make sure that you promote what you got going on you got your your new podcast which is what was like the precipice of me reaching out to you i'm like oh this is great i gotta get this guy yeah well, every every sunday except for uh the 26th uh, through january danny thompson and tom chemos and uh and uh myself and um troy simonton a garment engineer who helped design live scope and panoptics uh who's also a passionate fisherman and we put together a live show on on facebook it's on a number of sites like my personal site uh, lake commandos and danny thompson and outdoor channel and others but what we do is we basically go deep into ice fishing and uh, if you got questions on panoptics or live scope or anything garment related uh, troy is there uh answering questions live while we're on the show he he writes he, he provides written responses to the comments and then uh, we're giving away razor augers um or uh, ice bundles from Garmin, the Striker 4. And then the last show of the year, uh, we're going to be giving away a, a live scope nice. ice bundle with the new lithium battery and all that. And so to, to enter, all you do is get, get on the show and listen. And, and 
participate, you know, uh, ask questions, uh, comment, like the show. And, and uh, yeah, we had over almost 600 questions yesterday. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's pretty amazing. And, you know, we're, our, our reach is into the tens of thousands, which is awesome. And it's just fun getting together with other passionate anglers live. And we just cover a lot of broad topics, everything from technique to product to kind of social type of things. And, and uh, yeah, it's a fast, it's a fast hour. I tell you, I, it seems like you sit down and it's over. So oh, it's just like these podcasts. I can literally talk for three hours and it's like, how did three, how did three hours just go by? This doesn't even make sense. So yeah. So this yeah. is kind of a tease for me. I feel like we've just, we've just getting into the meat of stuff, <laughs> but, I, but I get it. You gotta, you gotta run. I appreciate your time, Steve. This is, this has been great. And hopefully we can uh, do it again. Get into, awesome. get into the weeds as it would be. All right. Well, I hope everybody has an awesome ice fishing uh, season, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Have Sounds a great good, day. Steve. Yep. Goodbye. Bye. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.